Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hello and welcome to the Two Robbies podcast, your destination for in-depth discussion, analysis of the Premier League and the Champions League. I'm Robbie Musto and today we have a special guest co-host in Steve Bauer filling in for Robbie today. Thanks Steve for joining us. Here are today's topics. Diogo Jota's brace sends Liverpool to the EFL Cup final after defeating Arsenal 2-0. Tottenham's thrilling stoppage time comeback against Leicester City. Chelsea's struggles continue after drawing with Brighton. Manchester United take all three points at Brentford, but did they deserve it? And I'll ask Steve how Man City have put together another dominant run. That's what we've got coming up in today's episode. So I'm sure our listeners um, and particularly our viewers will recognise Steve Bowers on our coverage of the Premier League for the first three or four seasons. Steve, um, I seem to remember, one of the best in the business. Just remind everybody, Steve, what you're doing right now. I know you're you're heavily into the Match of the Day show and the Premier League international kind of shows over there. Yes, Musty. I'm very busy. Lead presenter of the uh, the global coverage uh, on the Premier League TV. So I uh, sat in the studio most Saturdays and Sundays. And when I'm not there, I'm uh, calling games, uh, as you rightly say, for the iconic BBC Match of the Day show. So still a lot of fun, still very busy and still all across the, the Premier League. Hmm. I mean, viewers might see you pop up on Peacock here, Steve, sometimes yeah. midweek shows, something that you present and you host those shows over there. Um, so that's something for uh, for people to watch out for. OK, mate, what we do on this podcast, we, we generally go over what's going on, the games. We will kind of summarise the games. We'll talk about the stories in those games or topics around football at the moment. Um, we've just finished watching the uh, the Arsenal game against Liverpool in the EF, EFL Cup semi-final, second leg. It was nil after the first game. Liverpool win the game, Steve, 2-0. A brace from Diogo Jota. Um, <clears throat> I mean, from my point of view, looking at the game, now I know that Arsenal, you know, we're missing a couple of players, but it's a pretty strong team from Arsenal, a very strong start from Arsenal. Um, but at the end of the day, Liverpool were missing many more of their star players, but thoroughly deserved to win the match. For me, looked looked stronger looked fired up, looked organised. The celebrations afterwards, I think, from the manager um, and the players realised how important this competition is to Liverpool this season, given the way the league looks right now. Um, other teams are going to want to take trophies in whichever ones they can get. I thought it was a very impressive uh, day for Liverpool, Steve. We'll get on to talk about Diogo Jota maybe a little later, but did you think that Liverpool controlled and deserved to win? Yeah, I did. I did, and I thought... Um... <clears throat> Excuse me. Once again, they played slightly differently because obviously they haven't got that that pace and power of of Mane and Salah. So I think when you look at the games that they've missed domestically, um, apart from that one goal um, at Anfield, <coughs> sorry, it must be. Okay, mate. Take your time. Take your time, Sam. <laughs> what happened there? Just had a dinner. Yeah. <laughs> apart from the game at Anfield in the FA Cup against Shrewsbury, I was actually at where where Shrewsbury took the lead. They haven't conceded any goals, and I think they've. 
they've focused on on the strength that the players mm-hmm. they have. Uh, no disruption to the, to the back line. Uh, and they've had to play a little bit differently with, with Firmino coming back in, Minamino in the first leg, and young Kay Gordon uh, today, the 17-year-old who I saw make his full debut in that FA Cup tie uh, against Shrewsbury. So um, given given they've had to adjust in that manner, I thought it was, again, a tactical masterpiece um, from Liverpool. Uh, Arsenal had plenty of the ball, particularly in, in the first half, but they're just, they're just so dangerous when they get in that penalty area. And you're right. Only one name on the uh, on the mm. edge of everyone's lips at the moment. What a yeah. signing he has been. And once again, I'd like to point out as well, like Mane, like Salah, like Firmino, those players and now Jota have got so much better since going to Liverpool Football Club under Jürgen and his staff. I know. It, it's it's amazing. I think when, when the signing happened, Steve, it was like, yeah, I remember my son, actually, my son said like he really liked Jürgen Jota at Wolves. And, we, you know, of course, we saw a ton of him and thought, yeah, he's, he's got talent, he's got an eye for goal. But the way that he's kind of progressed and improved, now, whether that's partly the manager in Liverpool or whether partly he had it in him and, and around better players and, and better systems, he's excelling. But it's still kind of top-class recruitment, Steve, isn't it, that... that that a club like Liverpool can pick a player, like they've done it before, to be fair. You're absolutely right. They've done it many times before. Are you still, though, surprised at how good he looked? I mean, to me, and I've said it the last few weeks, in fact, probably longer than that, that he could be an absolute star for Liverpool for many seasons to come. Are you surprised the difference in player of Liverpool of seeing now more, more than what we saw at, at Wolves? Well, I think with the greatest respect to Wolves, it, it's the quality of player around him as well. And I was talking to somebody actually um, before Christmas who was involved in the deal, getting Diego Jota to Anfield from Wolves. And the slight worry um, for them at the time might have been, obviously, he was one of him and Jimenez were, were the main men at Wolves. He was playing every minute. He was scoring goals. And what he's done is probably one of the hardest things in Premier League football in the last few years is get into a front three and, and interrupt that front three of Firmino, Salah and Mane. And I'm told that when he first met Jurgen Klopp uh, and his staff, he said quite bluntly, Robbie, uh, listen, I'm, I'm not coming to Anfield to, to sit on the bench. I, I think no. I can get in front of, of one of those and I, I can be part of that front three. I'm not number four. And Liverpool and Klopp loved that mentality. Loved that mentality. And I mm. think you've seen, in the absence of Mane and Salah at the AFCON, particularly tonight in a big semi-final second leg, Wembley at the end of it, Diego Jota assume that mentality, assume that responsibility and thrive on it. You know, mm. I'll, I'll be the main man. I'll get us to Wembley yeah. in, in the absence of those two. And I, I just think he's getting better and better. His numbers are incredible when he mm. starts compared to when he scores in all competitions. And and, and as we've seen um, before Firmino got COVID, uh, he, he has been number four, Roberto Firmino now. And, that, and that's the... The biggest compliment I can pay Diego Jota, as I say, that he said that to the staff and he's gone and produced and, and he has split up that famous front three. Just on Liverpool in general, Steve, before we switch over to Arsenal a little bit, just back to the Premier League and we know what the gap is. We know how consistent Manchester City have been. We'll chat them a little later on. I think people in general are quick to, well, I've heard plenty of people quick to say, oh, it's done, title's done, Man City, the way they're playing, they're not going to give up this amount of points. Um, what's your thoughts on Liverpool's ability to to close that gap? We know they have to play City yet. We know they've got a couple of games in hand. That gap could come down potentially to around five if everything goes well regarding those games. But generally, 
Do you think Liverpool are the second best team or maybe the best team? Can they catch Man City? I don't think so. I'd love to sit here and say yes. Professionally, when I'm like you sitting on these shows week in, week out, we all want a title race. And yeah. I'll be honest, you know, at the beginning of December, we we were all saying, and I know you were as well, your, your guys in uh, with Rebecca in your studio were saying, this, this, this could be one of the most exciting yeah. title <laughs> races in years. Three horses in the race going to the Derby or whatever. Um, and then suddenly, in the blink of an eye, um, particularly with Chelsea, which is which is another conversation. I think it's a fourteen point yeah. swing in five weeks um, from between themselves, from going three ahead of City to to twelve. Right. I mean, it's 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 incredible what's happened to Chelsea, and mm-hmm. Liverpool had had those those stutters, unfortunately. And the way Manchester City are, and the way Manchester City traditionally sort of around Christmas, post Christmas, kick into consistent gear. I think that the margin for error is is virtually zero now. And I think and hope that Liverpool will push them close, that it isn't a procession. Yeah. Um, and they, they could go to the Etihad, depending on where they are in, in April, if they're within touching distance and, and maybe make it interesting. But I just I just don't see I don't see City uh, giving them any real light at the end of the tunnel because of the size of, of City squad. Yeah. The, the only the only sort of glint maybe is the obsession with the Champions League. Uh, for, for Manchester City, but the other side of the coin is they they might be that far ahead or might have a, such a nice cushion that they can rest players in the Premier League ready for whoever they draw in those mm-hmm. Champions League games. So, um, you know, I, I don't think it'll be a, a 10, 12 point gap between City and Liverpool, but in my in my heart of hearts, I, I can't I can't see it happening. Okay, just switching back to Arsenal, uh, Steve and. I think we've we've all enjoyed the way that Mikel Arteta's turned the team around from a very difficult start. Um, a lot of a lot of people question whether he should be the manager and whether it was too big a job for him. Um, obviously, in the league, they're doing fantastically well. Got a real good chance for the top four finish today. Just a, disappointed me today, Steve, a little bit. I, I just expected more. Expected more of a challenge. It was a bright start, a fast start from Arsenal. The first fifteen minutes were a little uncomfortable for Liverpool, but is it? I just feel it's like the expectation level rises so much when things go well and you have a great run. I still feel with Arsenal, there's a little bit of a correction there. It's like a stock that flies up. There's going to be a correction at some point to whereabouts they are on a consistent basis. Um, was this for you an example of, even with a, a, a underpowered a little bit Liverpool side, that Arsenal are not quite where people think they are yet? Yeah, I think it's still a work in progress. Um, and, and, and you're right. What Mikel Arteta's had to do and the, and the turnover of, of players. And I think I'm right in saying they've got the youngest average age mm. in the Premier League this season. And I think, you know, when you're talking about fine margins in a, in a major cup semi-final second leg, perhaps that know-how, that experience, that, that drive at times in midfield, uh, particularly no Xhaka, no Partey till, till the latter stages. Yeah. Just that, you know, you know what you mean. You play with those great players at, at Middlesbrough who had that. They just they just knew how to get over mm. the line sometimes, find a way mm. uh, in those big occasions. And I didn't I didn't see an awful lot of of that from Arsenal. And understandably uh, tonight, like I say, because you know the likes Ben White, he's a fifty million pound central defender. He's never experienced off the top of my head. He's won, never experienced anything like that. Tommy Asu, who's been impressive, struggled mm. tonight. You know, Gabriel. Mm. Th- th- it's, it's new territory for for a lot of these players, so I think Liverpool just had, just had you know too much for them in that sense. The Fabinho's, the Jordan Henderson's, the Milner's when they came on, been there, done it, got the t-shirt, 
um, and, and just had a little bit too much know-how and experience for Arsenal. Mm. Just before we move on from this game, uh, Steve, I'd love to get your thoughts on this because me and uh, Robbie and a few others kind of disagreed on the whole of Bamiyang situation, Stephen, okay. how that was handled. and uh, What did you think then? Well, at the time, see, my, my main my, my caveat was we don't really know what's gone on. On the basis of what we know about the player from his past, there was a, there was one incident, I think, at, at Dortmund before he left there where he was disciplined for, for, for something that he turned up late or whatever. We know about the late, lateness in the, the North London derby and then the recent one where he's really, really pushed aside. I just, my thought was, is this an overreaction? Is he that bad an egg that you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna toss him out and 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 basically take out your, your best goal scorer and and potentially fall out with him? Now I know since then results have been good and and generally I think the majority of people, ex pros, pundits, everybody thought well done, good decision. I just it just didn't it didn't rest as easy with me, Steve, because I, I know what he can do and and yeah he's gonna be he's a bit of a maverick player and yes there's been incidents but maybe and this is what I don't know maybe he's a nightmare around the place maybe he trains poorly maybe there's come on you know oh but you've got to get to this maybe he's just hard work throughout and Arteta wants rid of him out of the club but it looked I mean which looks like it's going to happen now um any any sort of thoughts on that side Steve or you agree that you know before we give you what what would you what would you have said if if he was in your middle of the dressing room and that happened with a great well, respect that, to your good self, you know, right. a better player, somebody who could potentially get you more win bonuses, get you up the table, maybe get you to a cup final. What 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 would you have thought as a as well, a team? Well, it happened. It happened. Everything you just said happened many times with the, the star players that we had at Middlesbrough. We had Ravanelli, who was a pain in the backside, difficult to manage. Like he would, he would go off on international duty and say things about the team which we didn't like as a squad, so he wasn't particularly popular. Who cares? I didn't care. Didn't you? I don't care. I haven't got to be best friends with him, Steve. He got us to cup finals. He got me to, yeah, to play he, in cup did he, finals. Did he have breaches of, of discipline though and code of conduct? That's not that's... not not really, Steve, because he was no. a good pro. He was a pain in the backside. My, yeah. Well, I, my understanding is the difference between not getting on with someone and being a pain in the backside to actually somebody just pushing the manager, pushing the manager. He's done it again. Yeah, constantly. And the yeah. rest of the dressing room saying, okay, Gaffer, what are you going to do here? And I think he'd, like you say, the North London derby, he was still a substitute. Uh, he then came back into the team. And the other thing, I mean, I tell this story to so many people when we talk about Mavericks and and all the rest of it. You just you just mentioned Ravinelli, who was an unbelievable player. Eric Cantona is the best, best example of this. Right. Right. When he was at Manchester United in, in the Premier League, uh, he didn't always adhere to rules. Right. When I say rules, there's a great story uh, that the boys tell me. I think uh, they won the league one year and they had this big gala dinner, black tie, um, Dickie Bow, and Fergie had gone around and said to every player, you know, well, you know, don't forget, da da da. They all arrive, they're all in the, in the drink ceremony. Uh, and Ryan Giggs has a, a tie on instead of a dicky bow. Black tie, but still in the in the suit. And Fergie came over and he said, I told you, dicky bow, not tie. Sorry, Gaffer. Sorry, Gaffer. Two minutes later, Cantona walks in. Jeans. <laughs> I know what's coming. Denim jacket. Oh, jeans. Oh, wow. So Ryan Giggs is thinking, here he goes. You know, this is going to be interesting. Fergie walks in and says, how are you doing, Eric? Blah, blah, blah. 
So he says, Gaffer, look, he says, he's just won you three Premier League titles. <laughs> but the problem was, when you're, when you're talking about Ravinelli in, in the same instance, um, there's two things here. The likes of Ravinelli, as you just said to me, and, and Canton are there, never late, ne- never, never an issue in terms of discipline, last off the training pitch, setting an example. So whilst those little things okay, were right. manageable... Uh, yeah. I, I, my reading of, of this situation, it, it was, it was a slight uh, test of the manager to see, you know, how much he was going to put up with in, in terms of of the discipline side, and also, mm. Robbie, you have to say, when you look at his numbers and you look at his body language this season, for yeah, Arsenal, this season, this season, about, mm. he, he's not in that star player category. So I suppose it makes it easier for the manager to to do that when he when he's not at the levels he has been in the past. Hmm. Yeah, that, that's it. That's his gamble. That's what he's decided to do, Steve. Um, for me, still a brilliant goal-scoring player, but but, but it's just, I guess, he, he was not in great form and this kind of piled up and he's done what he's done. So I, I, it's interesting, mate. And I think the Cantona has a good story in it and, a, and an interesting way. And there's a, there's a difference between being maverick off the field, but also on the training ground, being that that guy that you want the younger ones. There's plenty of younger ones at Arsenal, of course, to 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 learn from. Okay, let's move it on to back to the Premier League, my friend, and and Leicester City's game against Tottenham Hotspur. Of course, it finished three two. Tottenham scored two unbelievably late goals. Uh, I saw the highlights of this because I watched the game. It was on at the same time, Man United. And I'm watching the highlights all the way through. And again, by the way, that I, it looked like Tottenham dominated. Had lots more chances. Looked like they could really boss the game. Of course, Leicester get there a couple of goals. But in the last few seconds, I'm like, well, how, how do they get two goals in this last minute or whatever? So spectacular ending. Uh, I mean, Yuri Tillemans giving that ball away when the second goal was scored is is incredible to me. And Brennan Rodgers must be absolutely fuming. But Bergwijn scoring a couple of goals late. Uh, what... what where are we with with Leicester City first? Quick, more, more quickly on on Leicester City in terms of a difficult season they're having. We know the issues they've had injuries wise now. Mm. Brendan Rodgers is, is he just going to have to take this on the chin this season a little bit and, and accept that it's going to be a, a kind of a mid table finish for them? Yeah, I think so. I mean, no no manager wants to blame injuries, although the injuries weren't hampering them at two one up. But you're right, Spurs should have been out of sight in actual fact. Mm. Um, but they weren't. That was that was the the fact that they missed chances and and, and they weren't. And Leicester were two one up uh, with eighty seconds of stoppage time remaining. Um, and that's basically Leicester's season in a nutshell, isn't it? You know, I think they'd won three in a row at home. Can they do yeah. it? But four and make it. You know, and then it's two steps forward, one step back. They have had horrendous injuries. I think you know, for Farner and James in the back four, been huge. Mrs. Evans has come out of the team. As well, there was obviously no Vardy and Ian Acho last night. Daka's Daka's done well, but yeah. um, it, it's been a mishmash of a of a season. I expect them to get some players back and finish about eighth, you know, which mm. is probably in, in a normal season, which we where you would expect in and around yeah. Leicester to be. Um, I know a lot of Leicester fans, and I know they were absolutely delighted with the FA Cup win last last season to get a trophy and a day out yeah. at Wembley for those supporters. Um, they've had some European trips. Uh, it didn't go as well this season. Uh, they're now in the Conference League. But, you know, in the bigger picture, yeah, I think Brendan's just going to have to take this one on the chin, uh, recruit again uh, cleverly in the summer 
The problem for Leicester, I think, is Vardy's getting older and older. He's not looking it, but when he gets a niggle, he's suddenly, you know, out for four or five games instead of one or two, which is mm. to be expected, the explosive way in which he plays. So they have to play a little bit differently when, when he's not in the team. But as mm. I say, with 80 seconds of stoppage time, <clears throat> you would have expected them to see it out for all three points, let mm. alone a point. And the irony in this one, uh, because we were watching... Manchester United, like you, but we had a, a close eye on on Tottenham. Um, Bergwijn came on, and he's a, he is a player. I think it's uh, any secret that Tottenham are trying to move on. Yeah, he hasn't <laughs> done well, mm. and he's got a point to prove. But the interesting thing was when he scored that goal to make it two two. Both him and Harry Kane, more significantly, didn't celebrate. Raced into the net. They did to mm. get the ball, and you thought, wow. That, I mean, there's barely time to to restart this game. These guys think they can win it. <laughs> Yeah. And that's the manager, Musty, isn't it? That yeah. is the manager. This fellow's come yeah. in, you know, nine games unbeaten, uh, 24 points from 20, 21 points from 27. Uh, it is for Antonio Conte. With those set of players, with another three or four injuries last night, he's squeezing every single ounce out of those uh, Tottenham players. Because, yes, they've got good players, but not great players on paper, uh, Spurs, mm. when you look at the, particularly the team he, he played at, at Leicester. But very quickly, he's installed his own standards and, as we saw at Leicester, winning mentality into that team. And with the games in hand at the moment, I've got them favourites for four. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think I think we had a little reset around Boxing Day, Steve, about who we thought was going to finish in the top four. Um, some of us went for, I went for United to finish that, that fourth spot, which we'll get to them, but looks difficult. But I think, yeah, Spurs was the other shout there. I think Arsenal... Not quite ready to be there. Um, what I see with Spurs, and I, I watched Antonio Conte work, Steve, when he first joined Juventus. I've said it on the podcast before. Um, there was a preseason friendly in the United States. I went there with a different network and covered the game. But I watched them train on the Friday. And I think it was just one of his first days training the team at all, like taking a session. He's newly in there. And I watched them play for 45 minutes, the shadow play. And it was, it was red hot. Uh, training, I think it's North Carolina this game, which would, in, would have been in the summer in June. And he he just did these patterns from Buffon, the goalkeeper, rolls it out to a central defender, to the wing back, it was Licksteiner, uh, you know, Vidal in midfield. And they did these patterns for 45 minutes, Steve. It looked boring as anything. Luca Toni up front, I think Del Piero was still there at this point, but it was patterns to midfield to flip around the corner. And of course, it's all about muscle memory. So when I did the game the following day, I'm like, yeah, well, yeah, I, I saw this yesterday. I've, so, so he really is one to groove a system so players kind of know when I get the ball, well, he, he's probably going to be there because we've done it millions of times. He is there. We know we always look for the, the switchboard out to Licksteiner. It, it, I mean, it was only a couple of days, but it was impressive what he did then. And I think I'm seeing, I think most people are seeing a steady progression in that. In organization, his tactical kind of, blueprint if you like I mean he, he won't move much from his system he likes his five in the back sometimes three in midfield some with three up uh, two up front which it was uh in the last game and sometimes with two in midfield and three across the front when Suns fit of course do you see do you see this continuing to be a, a steady progression and just on his reputation Steve for spending money now I, I see today that Wolves have rejected have rejected a 15 million pound bid for Adama Troyore. um I think Diego Carlos as well is a potential severe centre-back that was thought we'd go to Newcastle. I think they're going to be in for him as well. 
He'll he'll get some fun, Steve Orney, to build this team. I mean, it, or, or do he you see? Gone there otherwise, he wouldn't have gone there otherwise, Robbie. Um, I mean, obviously, will it be enough for him, Steve? Will he get enough money to do what he wants to do? Or well, is he going to kick off? My understanding is that there, there there is some money there, but the, the Tottenham have to move some players on as well. I right. mean, there's reports today of uh, Ndombele reuniting with Pochettino at Paris Saint Germain initially on loan until the end of the season but even if PSG pay his wages you know for, for five months that that frees <coughs> excuse me that frees up another area can they get Deli Ali out um, who I understand didn't want to go to Newcastle it, it's difficult some of these players to to get them out of the door as well as trying to attract other ones in but I mean I would be utterly amazed if they haven't got a minimum of three players in he wouldn't have taken the job otherwise he's very close as we know with a sporting director from Juventus, yes. mm-hmm. um, and to be perfectly frank with you, if they don't and they don't finish in the top four, it wouldn't surprise me if he wasn't there next season. Because as we've just been talking about his mentality, he is a born winner, and he's won wherever he's been. And he has basically said after those two League Cup semi-finals uh, against Chelsea that the golf is is huge. You know, uh, he's, yeah. he's out there to the owner um, and into the public domain for the Tottenham supporters and. And all of us to discuss. So it's it's no secret where he thinks that squad are at and what mm. he needs to take them to the next level. And if he doesn't get it, I you know I, never mind the next window. Even in this window to start with, I I can't see him hanging around because Paul uh, Scholes showed with me the other week that at the end of the season, if you put Conte into the Manchester United at the moment with United's current squad, you know I'm talking about squeezing everything out of those Spurs players. You're talking about in December having United favourites to fourth. If you straight away, I'm putting Tottenham favourites for fourth purely because of the manager, not the roster and the players that are on it, just because they've got Antonio Conte and just because they're doing things like they did at, at Leicester with that mentality. If you move him to Old Trafford, I'll put Manchester United favourites all day long. I think hey, Steve, let me, let, let, me, let, yeah, let me ask you this one. I know you're, you, you know, you, you work with and you're, Spend a lot of time with former United players. Now, Paul Scholes, I understand, believes that Antonio Conte, and we'll get to United in a couple of games' time, would have been great for Man United, uh, Antonio Conte. I do as well. I thought it was a, I thought it had been like superb for the club to shake it, like give it the shake that it needs. I know that Gary Neville never felt that Antonio Conte was the right personality to take that job. Yeah, okay? and that view was that view was shared by by the decision makers at the top. Right, so that really that really was the, the 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 thought process. But you, what do you what do you believe? What do you th- what did you what would you have done? Well, I'd, I'm somewhere in between, to be perfectly honest. I think if you're looking in an idyllic world, he's not he's not an idyllic Manchester United fit. But where they are and, and where they've fallen from, I don't think Jose Mourinho was either. Arguably, Louis Van Gaal wasn't. So, and I don't think Ralph Rangnick is either. So, so you know, in a normal conversation, I I would see where Gary Neville was coming from. But now I totally get what Scholes is saying. You know, just get him in, get get some structure, get some discipline, get some identity and get Mm. the best out of a bunch of very talented players who aren't performing. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. All right, my friend, we're going to get to United uh, in a bit. Um, next next kind of game I want to talk about is Brighton. 
Brighton won, Chelsea won. All seems to be unraveling a, a little bit for, for Thomas Tuchel, Steve, with some comments about tiredness and yeah. and we know about Lukaku's fallout and how that was handled. God, we could talk all down some of this stuff, Steve, um, some of the things that happened at the football club. I think, you know, a quick line on Brighton because they deserve a line on them. Yeah. I mean, I, I have, I have we've, we've all eulogised about Graham Potter, Steve, and, and how his team, I'm watching this game, and it's like this Brighton team looks like a top six side. It looks and plays like a top six team, at least. It's that confident. It's that assured. It's that well coached. It's that well spread out. It's that confident. It's that talented in certain areas. Yeah, they could probably do with a with a, with another forward option to get more goals and maybe they could take a few more shots around the, the penalty box. But they have been a brilliant story, Stephen, a manager that is going places, isn't he? Well, not at the moment, I don't think, because um, for, for Brighton, first of all, I completely agree with all of that. And I think if they had, and they're never going to have because of where they are, but if they had, off the top of my head, Harry Kane, then I think you know they would be pushing the top four. Because when you look at the games, um, sometimes they don't create an awful lot of chances. And then their, their ratio of, of shots converted, you know, they might draw nil-nil or 1-1. Yeah, lots uh, of draws. Instead of winning 2-1 or 3-1, and they're the margins, those six, nine points, they, they would be right up there. Um, they've, they've tried in the past, they, you know, they're Danny Welbeck. Um, they've just got the boy, obviously, who's got in the Argentinian squad as well, McAllister. So, you know, if, but if they had a real, a real proven uh, centre forward, Mikel Antonio, for instance, if you put him in that Brighton team, I think they'd be mm. right up there. Um, mm. well, I love Greg mm. Potter. I love, I love the way he's, you know, Gone from the Swedish fourth division, earned his stripes, hasn't changed his identity. The way he deals with players, treats them properly. I think, you know, the likes of yourself and Robbie, you'd love to play for Graham Potter. But I've got a lot of lot of friends who are Everton fans. Um, so mm-hmm. it's stark contrast to, to Brighton. Terrific owner, stadium, brand new training ground, you know, full every week. Paul Barber, one of the best chief executives around. Dan Ashworth one of the best football operators around, and they put total trust in Graham Potter and his staff to get on with it. Of course, there's restraints, of course, there's budgets like every other club, but he has no interference there, no unrealistic expectations. Just go and do your job. His brief mm. changed the identity totally yeah. from Chris Hooten, which is a difficult, very difficult thing to do, and he's done that. And every Everton fan is at the moment saying, so why don't they go and get Graham Potter? And my question is, why would Graham Potter leave a structure like I've just listed to go into to go into Everton Football Club in the middle of a transfer window, who have no manager, no head of recruitment, no director of football, who just saw one of their best players. I mean, why why would Graham Potter do that? Now, I, I agree with you, Steve. Without angering Brighton fans, yes, Everton are a bigger club. Yes, Everton are going to a new stadium, and you know, back in the day, they were one of the big five. But that was back in the day, and the here and now, they're a shambles. At the moment, in terms of the, of the structure, so he would. I, I personally, no disrespect to Everton at the moment. I personally think Graham Potter, in time, can do can go higher than 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 an Everton or a Newcastle, where he was getting mentioned before uh, Eddie Howe. In fact, if going back to my previous point, if for, yeah. for whatever reason Spurs don't bring in the players to satisfy Antonio Conte, and he goes at the end of this season, then then that that club would be absolutely yeah. tailor made. For, for, for Graham Potter. Couldn't agree more, mate. Couldn't agree more. No, no, nothing else for me to add to that. I, I'm interested and because I know Robbie Earl um, 
again, we differ on this a little bit where he's thinking Graham Potter, Everton, a big job, big club, big history. These jobs don't come around very often. No, but I where, think it will for him. I think yeah, it will. Yeah, I know. I, I do too. Yeah, I think he doesn't need to jump at this because. No. And, it, because, and, it, and it's not a settled job, despite the size of the club no. and everything you're saying. And it's on my patch. The history of Everton Football Club is, is, is huge. The Evertonians are brilliant. But at the moment, that is a, a ship with no direction. All right. What about Chelsea. the direction of Joe? Yeah, the direction of Chelsea's, uh, Steve, because I think everybody really enjoyed the manager coming in. Thomas Tuchel speaks really honestly for the most part, intelligently. Um, of course, you win, the, you win the European Cup, the Champions League is fantastic. I expected them to win. I, I tipped them to win the, the title this year, Steve, at the start of the season with Lukaku coming in, with those young international uh, players coming in, the, the front players and, and Habits and another season for them and, and Werner and Pulisic and everybody else around Lukaku with a solid defence. I just thought they had all the ingredients. Obviously, they're out of it now. It hasn't worked out. Um, I'm going to. I'm on this weekend, and we're going to talk Chelsea, of course. And my disappointment with the manager and how they're going right now still revolves around the attacking play, Steve. The final third play. We know the way that Chelsea like to do it. They like to really control possession, really control it. That gives them a defensive base. Means they can they can take their time with their attacks. They have the ball. The opponents don't. They can progress up the field in terms of territory, and then really look to try and break it down. Obviously, the breaking down part is what's difficult. And when I watch Chelsea, particularly at the moment, well, actually for, for most of his time there, it's a lot of backwards, sideways and across. Now, when you do that, for me, if I'm playing against that, I kind of like that because I've not got a sprint anywhere. If it's slow build-up, I get back into my spot. I scream at my wide players, my wingers, OK, let's get in here. My defender's organised. We're in a good shape because the build-up is slow. Then it's hard. Then, yeah, go on then. You try and play through us because we're set. We're energised. We're organised. And I think it's not just about Lukaku, Steve. <clears throat> if I look at all the other attacking players at Chelsea, all of them, none of them are playing well. None of them have done it under this new manager. And the results have generally been very good, of course, with that win. But we're still looking or thinking who's the best three. We're still looking for one of the front players to really excel and I think there's a link between how hard it is for attacking players to do their thing against a deep, well-organised defence to make a job for any attacker actually pretty difficult because of the tight spaces. And, you know, like many teams, Steve, they're at their best, Chelsea, when the ball's turned over midfield and they can get it forward. Mm. The opponents are running towards their own goal. Lukaku's facing forward. The runs are coming in with Havertz and, and Werner and everybody else. But when it's not like that, which is mostly the case with Chelsea, possess so well that they've got to try and pick a way through and they, they're struggling to do that. What, what are your thoughts on, on where Chelsea is struggling right now? Yeah, I, I concur with that. And I watched um, Tuesday night's game in the company of Ian Wright and Alan Shearer and had many a conversation along those lines with yeah. obviously the focus on Romelu Lukaku because you're right, none of the front players have done it. But but actually, in Lukaku's absence, they did get some of their better results. Mm. Um, but But... Their sort of take on it was, and you're right in terms of, of trying to create things, Lukaku wants it up early. He's on the shoulder. He's making runs. And he, they yeah. picked a few out in that Brighton game where the ball's not coming. And, and they were sort of saying, listen, in his defence, for us, if we're in that situation, that is so frustrating to the point where you'll stop making those runs, particularly when he's, when he's low on confidence. 
Havertz likes it to feet, likes to link up with those midfielders. Werner likes to get in the channels. So depending on who's playing, they they have to alter their game. There's, there's no constant identity and theme depending on, on who's in the team. And Tuchel did have a problem, which is why Lukaku was on the bench when he was fully fit after that injury and the fact that, that Chelsea were winning. And I've got another little theory as well that, that the early form, and let's not forget, I'll go back to December the 3rd, there were three points clear of Manchester City. Uh, and these conversations weren't coming up. Of course they don't when you're winning games. Yeah. But they were keeping clean sheets. And the reason they were winning, they weren't beating people 4-5-0. The reason why they're winning is, is, is that defensive solidity, that foundation, the organisation that Tuchel worked so hard on. That's how they won the Champions League in those knockout games and beat City in the final. They were doing that at the start of the season. Then... As ever with Chelsea, when things start to come out and, and get mentioned in the media, not one, not two, but three defenders, are they going to be there next season? Rudiger was the big one and still is. Christensen, who's been playing well. And then Aspilicueta, the captain. And then all these little murmurings started happening and, and, and the back five was broken up. And then they started conceding goals. Then Mendy made some errors. Of course, that West Ham game springs to mind. Suddenly, I can't remember what the stat was at the time, but they conceded five in ten games. They conceded three in one game. And then it was almost a combination of the whole Lukaku thing and the, and, the, and the strikers and breaking teams down. But then they were conceding goals as well. And that solidity, and are these guys going to be here next season? Is, he, is Rudiger signing for Real Madrid or Bayern Munich or PSG? And it just seemed, they just seemed to take their eye off the ball, I thought, Robbie, in, t- in terms of mm. what they'd been building their results on. Mm. Mm. Yeah, maybe. A good point. Yeah, I think so. And it's funny because we have, a, as you know, we have our production meeting and we had a, a meeting today. And um, Graham Rousseau, of course, former Chelsea player, I thought made a really interesting point, Steve. And I guess it's a bit of a warning that, that when things go well at Chelsea, there's a real strong momentum. But when things start to crack a little bit, it can fall away pretty quickly. And so can the manager. Now, I'm not saying that that's what we're starting to see here, but I think he makes a good point there that, you know, you know, when, when, when people start, that the players start to sense, Steve, that mm, we ain't doing very well. We've seen this before. Manager is going to be under pressure. We might have a new guy coming in. That's where the Chelsea model, which has been hugely successful in terms of winning stuff, Yep. That's the that's the weakness with it that players sometimes feel that they've got very um, difficult like, dressing room to manage. Robert. Yeah, yeah. When you have that possibility, do you think that that's valid from Graham? And, and are we could we see that with Thomas Tuchel? I mean, I think that'd be incredible because he's been super impressive. And there isn't much wrong. There isn't much wrong with that final piece. And like you said, I think the contracts and defenders is a very valid reason yeah. as well. But yeah, you know what I mean? Is I, think, it, I think there's something wrong when you look at that that game as a whole when Ziyech scores and nobody celebrates. And Thomas Tuchel didn't even get out of his seat, Robbie. They've just taken the lead and it was almost... And then we yeah. saw Lukaku and Ziyech, you know, going off the pitch. Of course, that happens all the time. You think, well, that's done and dusted. Come back out for the second half, 15 minutes later. They're still at each other. And then the full-time camera pans to them and the conversation's still going on. Chelsea Football Club have scored a goal to take the lead in the Premier League Nobody's smiling. Lukaku is walking, not even sprinting to Ziyech, who's 10 yards mm. away. And their manager isn't even out of his seat. Yeah. I think, I think you know, to, to, to look at that 
on, on one the back of what, what Graham's saying, you would say it goes hand in hand. And if you look at the statistics, they're 12 points off Manchester City. Um, Frank Lampard lost his job when they were 11 points off the top of the table. So mm. if that, that's a powerful dressing room, as many players have, uh, have said to me over the years. And I've had conversations with John Terry and Frank Lampard many a time about back in their day and you know how difficult it is with with big characters. And you've got a big character in there in Romelu Lukaku, who, who is honest and has, has done what he's done. And Thomas Tuchel said publicly, I spoke to the senior players and that's why he's not playing today in that game against Liverpool. That was very pertinent. So you've got that issue. You've got, as I say, those three big personalities, including the captain who's been there eight years, playing their contract um, scrabble. You know, will they, won't they? What, what are you writing? You know, mm. I think there's a, there's a feeling of uncertainty around around the club all of a sudden. But I must say and repeat, it's come in the space of six incredible weeks for Chelsea. It's mm. like falling off a cliff, isn't it? Yeah, I know, I know, and, and and I don't think anybody really liked the tired the tired line that Thomas Tuchel mm. said about the players being tired. And and I, I I a little bit like you with Antonio, I do I do kind of know where he's coming from with so many games. Um, but it's just something in English football. Managers don't complain about being tired. He's got a no, massive he's got squad there. Twenty million pounds worth on the bench. Yeah, right. I know, which which haven't been utilised the game before either. So, uh, yeah, problems problems for Chelsea. Steve, but we've got to move it on, and uh, we go back to United and, and Brentford. Man United three in the game that I did see. Um, let me just pull up the team uh, to remind me. Oh, yeah, a little bit of a different setup, Steve, I thought. I thought it was a 4 3 3. Stockmatoli was holding in midfield. You had Fred on one side, Bruno Fernandes on the other side, playing as number eight to get up in support. You have Alanga on the left hand side, Greenwood to the right, and Ronaldo playing up front. Um, it seems that Ralph Ragnick, Steve, just on terms of that side, the tactical side and the system side, seems to be shuffling through different systems now. Of course, we knew what he wanted at the start. It was his 4 2 2 2 that he'd been famed for, pretty obvious after the first few games, even the results haven't been bad under the new manager, but it was a struggle and, and people were playing in spots that they weren't really comfortable at Sancho and Rashford playing as 10s. They were better in wider positions. He's sifting through and going through the systems again. Again, I think it, it was a 4-3-3. Uh, I think he's, he's shifted that again during the game, Steve. Well, uh, great result for United. Um, even though, you know, Brentford had some big chances to, to score more goals in the game. What did you think, before we get on to the, some of the bigger talking points with them, Steve, just on this game particularly, um, what are we seeing in terms of performance right now from uh, Ragnick's team? Awful, I thought, in the first half. Um, doesn't matter what formation you pick. Again, body language, togetherness, it's been a theme. Um, I, I had a long, well-documented conversation with Cristiano Ronaldo last week. Yeah, saw that it was great. Yeah, to say, to say it was a rallying call was something of an understatement. Uh, and I think in the first half, you'd, you'd look at the rest of the team and thought, well, they'd probably not watched that that interview or or heard his comments. Um, and but for David de Gea, you know, they, they, yeah. they might have been outside Brentford um, again. I mean, it's it's incredible to think that David de Gea has made more saves than any other Premier League goalkeeper this season. Mm. It's a Manchester United goalkeeper, mm. but. You know, credit where credit's due. Whatever, whatever was said and, and done at uh, at half time, they were much, much more recognisable um, with their attitude. Apart from anything else, in the second half, and, and once they got one, you could see you could see that body language change. Um, and 
you know, th- th- they won the game fairly comfortably in the end. I, I guess we're going to get onto the substitution as well. I mean, I don't know what your opinion of that is. I just thought for whatever it was, 12 or 13 minutes, Cristiano Ronaldo hasn't played the last two games. So it's not like he's playing his third game in, in six days at the age of 36. Ralph Rangnick's well aware what Cristiano Ronaldo said to me at length in that interview and what he's he's, he's tried to go on. I just, it, it, there, I just think, leave him on. You know, it's 12 or 13 minutes. He'll probably get a goal against tiring Brentford. You know, take a Greenwood off, take an Alanga off. You know, they've they've done their bit. No negativity. It's a positive night. It's a return to winning ways. It's three, maybe four goals. Let's get back to Manchester and, and let's move on. I felt last night that not a lot of people are having this conversation that we're having. What about the yeah. first half? What about the second half? It's like, what did you make of Ronaldo? And that's now that's now all they're talking about. Certainly, certainly people to me today, what did you make of Ronaldo? Instead of what you just asked me, what about the game? What about the contrast from the first half to the second half, the tactics, mm. the attitude? I don't know. What do you, what do you think, Rob? Did, well, I, I'm 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 on both sides of that. I don't disagree with what you just said. Um, others could have come off. You know, when he was coming back off injury, Steve. I don't know how bad that was. Whether the manager's cautious of that, I think he, he hinted at that afterwards. He certainly hinted at um, seeing out the game and making sure they get the right result. I get um, that. Just take someone else off to do that. You know? Yeah, Maybe but else. but yeah, I. I don't, I, I don't like the strop from Ronaldo. Think it was a strop. Yeah. Do you? He, well, he, he was mo- moaning and groaning and flipping, flailing his arms a little bit and throwing things around and sitting down and murmuring and Ragnick to, had to speak to him. I, I don't really like enough? that. Yeah, but I don't like that sort of. Hmm. You're part of a team. And if the manager wants to do something, you got to get on with it. Again, there's nobody. There's, there's, there's no. Bigger flipping polar opposites than me and Ronaldo. I, you know, I, I do what the manager did, and I told the line, and if you know, I accepted most things. And I know he's a world superstar and wants to play every minute of every game. And you make good points that we're talking about it, and then we shouldn't be. But I still think get on with it. The manager wants to. He's, do, he's doing what he feels is best for the team, and it, it, and it might rub him up the wrong way, and there might be a story, and it might be something that continues to fester, which is not good. But I still wouldn't back a manager. Wouldn't say to a manager. Oh, you got to leave on Ronaldo because he's the guy, and he's going to get another goal, and because it keeps him happy, and because that's what people want to see. So I think I'm I'm a little bit torn, Steve. But in agreeing what you say, it would have been easier. It, but so what? So what? Manager brings you off, you come off, and I and I and I get the the little bit of frustrated. We've all been frustrated when we come yeah. off, but but I don't know to keep going on about it, and the manager has to go over and speak, say something. I don't think it's a good look. Um, so I'm I'm. Yeah, no, maybe on the other side of the coin is if he just sort of wandered up, wandered off, and looked delighted to to, to come off the football pitch, then all the, the United fans would be going, oh, "What's Ronaldo doing? Yeah, he's I know. Money, you know, he's not even bothered about coming off at two 0 up at Brentford." So, hmm. you know, yeah, he probably could have toned it down a bit, but you know, me, you know, he's a winner. He's eight hundred and ten goals in his career. Um, he's the most likely to put the ball in the back of the net on that pitch against a tired Brentford team. Hmm. Yes, he he probably. You're right. Oh, Strop, I don't know. He's showing his emotions too much, but I don't mind winners showing that they want to be, you know, on that yeah. pitch and yeah. trying to contribute. Yeah. yeah. But 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 you're saying it's a story, you know. And it needn't be. 
And you're right. Does it continue? Is there an episode two? You know, I just felt it could have been avoided. Hmm. Steve, let me ask you something a little different. Um, and it's something that, that I've been sort of, I thought about a little bit, you know, it's like all these different managers and everybody's expectation for Man United is that, or the, the comment is fantastically talented squad of players should be doing a lot better, you know, whether it's the manager's fault, the system fault, everything else. What point do we start looking at the individual, Steve? What point do we start to say, is Sancho a great signing? Is he a great player in this, in this club, in this league? Is Marcus Rashford capable of producing consistent, effective performances that this club would demand? Is Dallow, is Alex Tellez, is Fred? I mean, Alanga's young, got, got time to do it, but, but isn't ready yet to, to, to challenge at the top. Mason Greenwood, I could argue, is a super talented player, but isn't quite ready to be in a team that's challenging for the top of the league. I looked at this this team, Steve, and I know there's, there's a few missing or whatever. I saw a lot of average players, Steve, average players. You take out De Gea quality, Varane quality, Bruno Fernandes for me, real quality, Ronaldo quality. The others, and some of them are younger, I don't know, there's time for them to, to progress into to something special. Not that super effective in this team, Steve. Is the team, the squad, as good as what people make out? Great question. I think they're better. And I think that comes down to attitude. And that's basically what Ronaldo was saying to me. Is it? So if they haven't got that side of their mentality, we know that the the, the player's made up of technical, tactical, physical and mental. It's an attribute. It's a four, one of four pillars. If players haven't got that, don't, then they're not going to be great players. Yep. I asked him if, if 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 each and every player hasn't got that mentality, can you be successful? His answer straight away to me was impossible. Right. So, which was, you know, he didn't beat around the bush. And I think, um, I think he feels half the squad, like you say, that and the other half should be doing an awful lot better with the talent they've got. And of course you, you haven't mentioned another player who's always a story in Pogba, of course, who, right. Yeah. Same thing. Another, another enigma um, in that sense, but sooner or later, sooner or later, you know, I I asked the quest of uh, of Owen Hargreaves and Mike Owen on my show last night, you know, at half time after that 45 minutes, you know, we've now seen four or five managers um, try, you know, and they both said, no, it's just it's players. Players have gone out in that first 45 minutes. Forget what formation it is. They are still playing for that shirt, that name on the back, their own personal pride. And some of them aren't hitting the heights consistently. Right. With attitude first and foremost, and energy <clears throat> and application that they should be. Uh, and mm. that's just what, that's not one manager now, is it? That's, that's no. willing to do that. Um, mm. You sounded like Roy Keane before, because I think he said he'd only keep three of the entire squad. So, uh, you're on, a, you're on a play with him. But, um, mm. yeah, I mean, listen, we could sit here all night um, and discuss this one. But, you know, in terms of moving forward in the short term, I, I, but, I, I don't – because obviously Ralph, Ralph Rannick is only going to have a few months with him. Um, mm. I, don't, I don't – I understand. I don't think there's going to be a new face in the January transfer window. So then they've got an almighty – important decision at the end of the season as to who they turn to to mm. regroup. And I think recruitment 
it's huge. I mean, we we go back to Brighton. We were we were watching the, the game Tuesday and then Wednesday. In the full-back position, for instance, Manchester United's two right-backs, Wambazaka and Dallow, cost a combined £80 million. And then you look at Tarek Lamptey, the way he played against Chelsea, cost £4 million. You know, as one example. Yeah. Um, yes, Manchester United always have to pay over the odds, but there's been there's been some some serious lazy recruitment mm. um, that, that I think is, is is catching up with them, Robbie. Let's just have a quick line on on the manager, the current manager right now, interim in, in Ralph Ragnick, and something that I want to get your take on, and also the guys that you work with. Again, for me, right, and I think I'm a lone voice a little bit in this. I can I can see what Ragnick's trying to do. What is that? There's been well, I think <laughs> you don't. Then. No, I think what what I obviously the the, the pressing part of things died to death pretty early. Um, but in some games, I see a more compact team. I see a, a better, more defined shape than certainly Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. Ole Gunnar Solskjaer used to let Greenwood and Rashford run wild. And that, that, that meant for end-to-end <clears throat> -end games, conceding goals, comebacks, spectacular entertainment, drama. I see this manager's trying to get them more compact. And I see Greenwood playing closer and Rashford... You know, now again, it's, um, it's a tough sell, and and with the boards not being good, I'll go back to the quality side of it. But I do see a manager that's trying to make them structurally normal, like 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 a Fergie team that was structurally strong and the shape was always there. Um, now I know defensively and individually they let it down, but there's moments in games, in separate games, where I'm like, well, I, I can see what he's trying to do there, and they look a little bit less open and. And, and, and potentially up and down is what he said with more control and controls with the ball. It's also control without possession and being controlling the opponents. So I think that's what he's trying to do, Steve. And I, I, I don't know. I just, I, I guess I'm, I, I'm a lone games, voice in his eight games, Robbie. So we're eight games in. Do you see any difference from the day he took over? I just told you. Well, from the day, from, well, from. In his eight games, have they moved forward, United? Um, Are they better off? Well, their shape is better off than the and going to Solskjaer, right? The shape's right. better off. So we're not seeing the defeats. We're not seeing... I mean, they, they could have lost games and the De Gea's made big saves. Um, and of course, it's a tough sell. Like, they, they've struggled. They've won games uh, against teams you expect them to and struggled in others. But I, but I, I think he's trying to do the right thing. And, and, and again, that's tough sell when it's mostly without... I know where you're coming from. So if they played Liverpool tomorrow you'd be confident they wouldn't lose 5-0 like they did under Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. That's basically what you're saying, isn't it? Yeah, and, and, and maybe the Brentford's a bad example because they could have scored goals, Steve. So I, I'm, I'm mm. arguing against myself here. But I think in other games, there's been where, you know, you wouldn't be surprised if United conceded three and then they scored late. I mean, there's, there's a bit more of a structure to them. Um, and that maybe makes it harder for the build-up play, which has been yeah. struggling. They, they still are their best, Steve, when they're counter-attacking. These yeah. goals against Brentford all came on counter-attack. Yeah. It's what that, they were good at. That's what they did under Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. Right, they, exactly. Counter-attack. You know, that's how they won those Champions League games in Paris and got to the Europa right. League final. Counter-attack. Pace, power, personality. That was a, They were the three And, that, and that smacks off. When there's more quality, Steve, when you've got more quality midfield players and full-backs looking to take play, then that will change. And when, yeah. you, when you've got Fred McTominay, Dallo, Tellis and a few others, and I also say about the front players, they're very, they're very... 
the attacks end quickly with Greenwood and Rashford. Attacks and Ronaldo, attacks end quickly. They're going to get it, they're going to dribble, they're going to shoot, they're going to maybe try one pass. The whole profile of the team is geared for counter-attacking right now. And through recruitment, through getting some more quality in, then that might start to change and you have better footballers in the team to improve their build-up play. What what I would say is, I would give him credit for this. He, like you say, he arrived. I did his, his first game against Crystal Palace and, and the interviews with him and, and met him and all the rest of it. And he was very... Uh, he'd only had a couple of training sessions in fairness, but he, he was very sort of um, authoritative in the sense of, this is what I am. This is what I've always done. This is how I've brought my success. He kept, you know, saying four two 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 and two sixes and all the rest of it. And it was a bit sort of, wow, okay. Um, and they were pretty good in the first half, that little bounce from the, from a new voice and not great in the second half. But we, saw the, we saw the press and we saw all those things, Steve, that yeah, kept it clean clean. after that, yeah. And in fairness to him, he did have the training ground shut for five days and those postponements and all the rest of it. But in the time that he's had to look at the games and what training sessions he's had, in fairness to him, he's actually listened to people and looked and thought, well, actually, that is me. But have I got have I got those players to go and do that? You know, 34 year old and 36 year old as my two strikers are not going to do what he in an ideal world would like to do. And I think. Again, it was only Brentford and, and Villa, but, you know, Villa for an hour, they were excellent. I think one player who's really benefited is Bruno Fernandes because in that original system, he was, he was playing as a right winger. You know, yeah, he it, 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 absolutely yeah. lost. He looked far from happy, uh, disgruntled. And suddenly he's gone back into that central role a little bit deeper. He's on the ball even more, scoring goals, smiling, setting up goals like last night. Um so I will, you know, credit where credit's due. Uh, early on, he's realised that and he's changed that, and he's got four mm. points from six, and they've scored what five goals in those in mm. those two games. And I think the other interesting thing is, and whether it's any better, but Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's first choice back four in all those big games, he's maintained one of them, which is Rafael Varane. I thought it's a big call to leave Harry Maguire out. Yeah, yeah. It's a big statement. You know, with, with the greatest respect to Victor Lindelof. That's who's yeah. playing instead of him. And he's changed both fullbacks. And Dallow's improved the right-hand side. And, and Tellez is, you know, getting some rave reviews on the left-hand side. So, actually, from Solskjaer's first choice back four, Ranić's gone, no, I'm only, I'm only having Varane. I'm a little surprised at the left-back, particularly. I, I, don't, I think these fullbacks are OK. They're average for me. I think Shaw's better than Teller, Steve, at left-back. Yeah. I think Dallow and Wambazaka going forward. Yeah, yeah. Wambazaka, we, we all know what his deficiencies are. So, I'd like to see that, that change Maguire, there. Rob? Uh, don't have big a problem call, right now. Big Pardon? call. Big call. Very big call. We, we haven't really talked about a lot, actually, um, on our side here. But it was a big call being on the bench. And Lindelof and Varane playing. Varane's quality. We know that's got good pace. Um, but, yeah... I, I, I still, in my ideal back four at that club, I'd still have Maguire in it. That's just me. I would. I'd have Maguire and Varane. I think between the two of them, that they they would be the best partnership. I mean, Lindelof's got his flaws like, like Maguire has, but I ultimately would go for Maguire and Varane. I, I really would out of, the, out of the two. What about you? Do you think has Bailly got a chance to, to to be a starting player? I know some people think that he should be a starting centre back. No, I don't think so. But I just I, I think it's really interesting. He's come back from injury. Uh, they then conceded two goals against Villa, and everyone, myself included, thought, oh, well, Harry Maguire will be back in against Brentford. 
mm. and he wasn't. And mm. when he was asked about him, he didn't say, well, we're nursing him back from injury and all the rest of it. No, nope. that, that's that's what I'm doing. That's your mm. captain. That's your £85 million pound signing. Uh, and that'll hurt. That'll hurt Harry. Um, and then mm. you know, it'll be interesting to see again in the short term mm. uh, what he does moving forward there. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Let's move on to the other team in Manchester. And the, and the last club we want to talk about before we wrap it up, Steve, and I know, um, I guess there's less to talk about in Man City because they've been so consistent. We're not they've been so... <laughs> <laughs> I know. Um, why, given their issues at centre four issues, but given the fact they felt that they really needed a uh, a striker in the summer, and I actually bumped into a hierarchy at the football club in in the summer, and and and, and talked to him about, you know, poked him about what they were going to do transfer wise, and he, and he admitted that they were very interested in Harry Kane. They thought he'd be perfect for this team. Obviously, didn't get him. And um, Peppers tweaked his midfield to try and get more goals from them, which is happening really, really well. Are you surprised, Steve, how well they've done without a striker really at the club? Gabriel Jesus plays more wide than ever as a centre-forward right now. It's Foden, it's anybody else as a false nine. Are you surprised how good they've been given that scenario? Probably. I mean, you shouldn't be, really, mm. <laughs> because this is City and Pep Guardiola we're, we're talking about. Um, and, and each year he seems to unearth some sort of gem in a different way. Um, last season was playing Gundogan yeah. in a different position. And I actually did a sit-down interview with Ilkay Gundogan. I think he was saying to me, because he played for Klopp, obviously, at, uh, at Dortmund, the way he's played in his positions, he's, he's never been up the, that far up the pitch. I think his, his best was five or six goals in any mm-hmm. season. And suddenly yeah. he scores 15 goals and he's, he's the top scorer in the champions. And even he was laughing about it. But then this season, you think, oh, can Gundogan do that again? And then, Bernardo Silva, who we heard, you know, strong reports of him leaving Manchester City last summer at the time when Harry Kane was supposed to be coming. I mean, Bernardo Silva, for me, apart from Mo Salah, has been the the, the, the player of the Premier League this season. Yeah. Uh, and his numbers are through the roof, what he's added to his game. Um, so sometimes it can have a, particularly with this manager, because he's he thinks about absolutely everything. And the irony in all this is that uh, Phil Foden, who I'm, as you know, a huge, huge fan of, has had a, because of COVID and injury and whatever, coming back late, has had an injury with England, stop starts, he's, he's no, just fit, but he hasn't had a run of games. Mm-hmm. And then the £100 million man, Jack Grealish, has, has, has struggled, to be honest, to, to adjust to, to life at, at the Champions. And mm-hmm. then you add in another guy, who I just think has been a different level in Jao Cancelo, compared again to his first settling in season. You know, he's laid on goals. I mean, what game did I do? The Everton game at the Etihad with that pass of the season. Um, he's scoring goals from 30 yards. I mean, mm. you know, you can have a giggle and say, what well, do they need a centre-forward? Probably when it comes to the Champions League. That, that's maybe the only, the only difference. You know, we know where they are in the Premier League. We know what the Champions League means to them. It's, it's a little noose around their neck that's getting a little bit tighter as, as the years go on. You know, falling mm. the final hurdle last season. So if they if they get to a big semi final with Bayern or something, that one golden chance, if it doesn't fall to the natural finisher they haven't got, 
that might be the finest of fine margins where, I don't know, Lewandowski scores at the other end, something like that. But, mm. but apart from that, you know, it's, it's not hindering them in the slightest. In fact, you know, you could, you could argue, it's a hypothetical conversation, I don't know what you think, Rob, but if Harry Kane was in that team, would they be playing as freely with the movement they've got between all false nines and false eights and whatever else you want to call them? So they would have to play in a, in a slightly different way. Having said that, I think the England captain would, would gobble up plenty of goals. Yeah, I think it's astonishing, Steve. And um, I think what's made it more and more outstanding last season and also this season with the COVID situation, rearranged games, congested seasons that we've had, etc. The The squad depth and quality, and I'll get your take on this, is something that I've never seen before. I've never seen a squad of 25 players be as utilised and as happy and as effective and as good general quality of this is this Man City squad. I know everybody out there, they spent a ton of money putting this, this squad together and they spent you know big numbers, a lot of sort of 40, 50, 60 million pound players that came in. But but right now, and also the age profile is really, really good. I'll, ask, I'll put it in a question to you, Steve, because I said it on air. Have we ever seen, ever seen in English football, a better squad? We can get into the team and the better level and how they play and that they're looking for, for four or five Premier League titles. But in terms of a squad, Steve, when we don't really know what the best team is, Pep doesn't know what the best, because there isn't the best team. Because he's got tons of yeah. best teams. He that, can that, rest and rotate and change. Yeah. Is it the best squad of players English football's ever seen? Yeah, it's difficult to argue against that. Because and you've hit the nail on the head when you say you don't know what the best team is. And I think that's probably why it tips it. I you know, my mind automatically goes back to ninety nine and the Manchester United treble winning squad. Mm. Because I was close to it and I, I lived it and me too, Steve, because I've played against it many times. So and, my mind goes straight to the same team. Yeah. And if David Beckham, you know, went out of the team, then Nicky Buck came in. If Ryan Giggs went out, Jesper Blomqvist went in. But I think the difference, you've hit the nail on the head there. I think the difference was we all knew if Man United were playing Newcastle in the in the cup final, then, although he did make changes for that game, but, but we knew 10, 10 of the 11, you know, it might be, you know, Bottle Beckham that day or, or Gary or Phil Neville or whatever, but 10 of the 11 picked itself. You know, it was Cole and York, it was Stam and Jonsson, it was Keane yeah. goals. Now, with City, you're absolutely right. And, and the Champions League final last season, where it backfired against him, yeah. perfect, you know, oh, he's going to play He's going to play Rodri and Fernandinho. Yeah. No. Yeah. Raheem Sterling hasn't played in the quarterfinal or the semifinal, no. plays in the final. So, yeah. you know, in terms of, I mean, we just go back to the game they just played against Chelsea. I mean, who, who <laughs> would have predicted that Ruben Diaz... Would not have played in a game of that magnitude. Well, full stop. I mean, he plays every game anyway. But if you're going to rest him, is it going to be Palace at home? No, Chelsea at home against Lukaku. <laughs> we'll, we'll put John Stones in. He's only played five games in the Premier League this season. We'll, we'll put him in alongside Laporte. That that kind of example to me, yeah. totally, totally uh, says what you're saying, Robbie. In the fact mm. that United would do that, and probably the Arsenal Invincibles as well. We need to mention in, yeah. in the conversation they would do that. Oh, well, uh, you know, I don't know. Uh, Lee Dixon's injured, so Lauren comes in. Well, that's a pretty good replacement. But Lauren was never going to play, at that time, first choice when push came to shove mm. against, you know, Lee Dixon, for example. Kyle mm. Walker's not played for six weeks. Kyle Walker. I know. You know suddenly appears well, against Chelsea. And it's like, oh, yeah. 
no one's really with the no one's really missed Carl Walker because Cancelo's gone over there yeah. and Zinchenko comes in and that's the point. That's and when you've got and when you've got that and when you've got that Steve, then you can totally rest players anytime you want. You know what, Carl Walker's. I mean, it's the same with Ryan Sterling. Yeah, looking a little bit tired, looking a little bit off. Come and sit down for a few games. You know, you take a, a really good break, but not just a few. You've taken like two or three, four weeks where you don't start. And then somebody else looked up. Well, go on then. Now, I mean, the, the managing of that has been great, but of course, the squad the, the squad quality enables that to do that. Um, just a, a remarkable team and a squad and a manager that that's you know breaking records all the time. It's a privilege to watch them. It is. It is. And it's a privilege, my friend, to have you on this episode of the Two Robbies podcast. Um, Absolutely marvellous, mate. We could sit here and talk for hours and hours and hours. I thank you so much for coming in. I'll tell Robbie all that, you know, me and you can, we can run this show for a little bit. We'll have, <laughs> listen, we'll have Earl on. <laughs> listen, Earl C is, is irreplaceable. Let's be honest. Earl C yeah. is irreplaceable. But uh, no, yeah. listen, great to catch up with you. Absolutely. Thanks very much, Steve Bauer. And okay, just leaves me to remind people that the next episode is on Sunday, January 23rd, recapping the Premier League weekend, highlighted by Sunday's big match between Chelsea and Tottenham. So until then, everybody take care of themselves, stay healthy. And so then we'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil.